0: Man. I'm not kidding. You know what was amazing about that? I hit every note that Roger hit. It's unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Man, uh, you know, this is such an exciting time. Love being in the house with you. And some of you may know, you may follow us on social media and know that Roger's been uh, fighting some physical health challenges. He's doing great, doing well, and he's got some challenges in front of him. Absolutely. So... Just want to continue to lift him and his bride, Val, up. They are family to us, and so we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray over the message right now together, too. Let's pray together as a family. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for the fact of your presence, the fact that you are here with us in this place. God, the fact that you are with us wherever we go. Right now, Father, I pray that you would speak through me, that you would speak in spite of me and use this time for your purposes. We ask this in the name that is above every name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. 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 I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and tell them, go tell it. That is great. Y'all just smoked the 915 crowd. If you see any of the 915ers, you can tell them we just beat y'all like a drum. And yes, it is a competition, by the way. Go tell Tell it. You know, I was on the phone with my brother Patrick, who lives in Houston, a few weeks ago, and he was telling me that he had gotten one of these Traeger grills. You know, how many, do we have Traeger grill people in the room? (laughs) Apparently, I'm the last man in America who doesn't own one. But Pat was telling me about the virtues and the benefits of the Traeger grill. Apparently, you can start a fire in this thing, put whatever flavor wood pellets you want in the little canister, and plug it in, and just leave it; it cooks basically like an oven outside, except it uses flame. It's an amazing tool. And Pat was telling me, he goes, "Mac, I, I can I can start the fire, set it, and I, I can leave it. I can change the temperature in my grill outside on my patio with my cell phone from anywhere on the planet." You have got to get you one of these things. I was like, "Man, Pat, that's great." I said, "I'll I'll be honest with you, I'm." I'm a charcoal guy. I'm just that's that's not a judgment in any way, shape, or form. I just said I I kind of like setting a fire, tending a fire. If I'm grilling something, it's charcoal. If I'm smoking it low and slow, then it's with firewood. He goes, oh okay, you're probably judging me right now, thinking me less of a man because I plug in my grill. I was like, whoa up cowboy, no judgment here whatsoever. I think that's a that's a phenomenal tool if you can plug it in and. Let somebody else do the work for you, man, knock yourself out. That's, (laughs) I'm kidding. But I I did, I thought, man, what what an amazing invention, what an amazing tool that you can just set an app and your grill just stays at a steady state temperature. You know, one of the great challenges of the Christian faith is that there is no app to keep the fire of our faith at a constant temperature. Once the fire of faith is lit, once a person steps into a relationship with Christ and begins to follow Jesus and begins to do life with Jesus as a part of the family of faith, that fire has to be tended. That fire has to be paid attention to. We have to account for ups and downs and twists and turns. We have to account for environmental factors that change around us, kind of like you do if it's cold outside versus hot outside when you're grilling, and you just have to pay attention. We, we have to feed the fire of faith with Scripture and with prayer. We have to open the damper and let in the oxygen of obedience and feed the fire of faith, tend the fire of faith. That's, that's what I do. When I, when I tend a fire, that's, to me, that's kind of therapeutic. I, I like paying attention to the fire, keeping up with it. And that's like, well, what's the word that everybody uses now? What do they call it? They call it um, self-care, self-care. That's what it is. When I start a fire, that is self-care for your pastor. Well, our faith needs that kind of attention. Our faith has to be tended to. We have to pay attention to it. We have to stoke the fire. It's like any relationship in your life. It requires attention. And there is one skill. There is one skill, spiritually speaking, that will ensure the survival of your faith. Now before I tell you what that skill is, we've been talking about skill set over the last few weeks. We've looked at different spiritual skills that we all need to grow, to get good at growth. We've talked about we've talked about learning and living out the Bible. We've talked about stewardship. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about being the church, encouraging and challenging one another to grow and to become more and more like Christ in every way. And these skills are all important and have huge implications, ramifications, and repercussions, but one skill ensures the survival of our faith, and it is a skill that every single one of us need to develop. I want you to turn to your neighbor and with a smile on your face and the love of God in your heart, tell him, you need this. I'm talking about the spiritual skill of introducing people to Jesus. Introducing people to Christ is a skill that God has called us to. We are commissioned by God himself to develop this skill. Now I know, as soon as I said that, some of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't wanna be that guy. I don't wanna be that girl, that, you know, that kind of, I don't know how people are gonna respond to it. What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? And so many objections that spring to mind immediately. For the record, I get it. I have never engaged in a conversation with someone, hopefully and prayerfully introducing them to Christ where I felt totally comfortable. I've done it, but there's always the doubt. There's always the uncertainty of how they're gonna respond. But in that moment, we have to remember How they respond is between them and God. We're just called to tell them. We're called to go tell it on the mountain, in the valley, in the city, in the town, wherever we go, go tell it. If you look in the book of Acts, Acts, of course, is the biblical record of the beginning of the founding fledgling church there in Jerusalem. It it chronicles the the ups and the downs, the stops and the starts, and, and things that went well, things that didn't go so well. But in Acts chapter 1, we kind of receive our our marching orders. This is kind of the the charter for the church. If you will, Acts chapter 1 is is the constitution for the church. No amendments needed. This is Jesus explaining who we are and what we do. Look in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is Jesus talking. And then he says this, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. What Jesus is saying here is begin where you are. He, right here he's talking to the apostles, the disciples. and He says, start here in Jerusalem. For you and me, this would be. Start here in Austin, you will be my witnesses in Austin. Then in Texas. And then Samaria, Judea would be the United States of America, the ends of the earth. So start here, Austin, Texas, the United States, the ends of the earth, even to California, you will be my, I've been waiting for that all week. Sometimes I throw things in that are just for my own entertainment value. And if you're from California, welcome, we're thrilled that you're here. I mean that. I'm not one of these, you know, anyway. It's a whole other sermon series. You will be my witnesses. It's not a debate, it's not open to discussion. Jesus just said, This is the job. And it's a skill that ensures the survival of our faith. It's a skill that we need. James chapter 2, verse 26 says just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So you can believe in God, but if you're not backing it up, your faith is as good as dead in the water. Now, does that sound a little extreme to you? Does it sound maybe kinda overly fanatical or unnecessarily radical? If it does, I, I understand, but let's, let's just kind of pull on that thread a little bit. When we say faith without works, we're talking about faith in Christ, having a relationship with God. That means that we have chosen to respond to God's grace initiative and entered into a relationship with Christ. That's what, that's what this faith means in this context. And that means by definition that God has taken us from death because of sin to life. We are all born under the condition of sin. Nobody had to teach you how to lie, how to be selfish. The first abstract concept that you ever grasped was what? Mine. Mine. Every two-year-old in the world knows mine. And it's a concept that we have to constantly, for the rest of our lives, fight to overcome. And that reality is corrected in faith because of what Christ did on the cross when he became my sin and your sin and paid the penalty for that sin so that we don't have to, so that anyone who believes in him would never die but would be forgiven of their sins. That's, that's, that's the reality of it. But then, because of that reality, we respond in faithfulness through good works, by doing things, by furthering the purposes of God, the kingdom of God here on earth. Jesus's model prayer, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is of course an eternal aspect to our faith, but there is absolutely a temporal right here and right now aspect of our faith as well. So we have to we have to understand that, and so Jesus gives us our marching orders here. What he's talking about here is evangelism. Evangelism. The word evangelism, just a, a working definition of evangelism, it just means telling the good news of Christ. Telling the good news. The word evangelism in the original Greek is euangelizo. Euangelizo, it's where we get the word evangelism. Now. I learned something this week that I had never known. I've I've been a follower of Christ for more than a minute. I've been to seminary. I've never broken down the word evangelism before. Watch this. We say evangelism, E-V-A-N-G-E-L-I-S-M. Well, in the original Greek, it was euangelizo, E-U-A-N-G-L-I-Z-O. That's the verb, to tell good news. Well, that prefixed E-U just means good. It's like a A eulogy at somebody's funeral, that's a good word about somebody who's just passed away. It's a good word. You is good, angelizo, but that word angel is right in the middle of evangelism. An angel is a messenger of God, a messenger who brings good, good news. You tell good news. I've never seen angel in the word evangelism before. Has anybody else ever seen that? You can raise your hand. That's okay if you did. You're smarter than your pastor. I'd never seen that before. But that's what evangelism is. is just introducing people to Christ, being a witness for Christ. He said, you will be my witnesses. I want to give you five things to keep in mind five things to remember about why practicing the skill of evangelism is so mission critical, the most important spiritual skill you will ever develop. Number one, practicing the skill of evangelism keeps our faith fresh. Practicing the skill of evangelism keeps our faith fresh. I'll never forget the first time my father-in-law Joe took our kids to New Orleans. Now, Julie's family's from South Mississippi. Her dad had been to, to New Orleans hundreds of times. He loved New Orleans, loved the food, loved the hospitality, the environment. Could not wait to take his grandchildren. And I'll never forget walking through the French Quarter, he's holding onto their hands. And Julie and I are like, don't look at the posters, kid. Just keep eyes straight ahead. We're here. We're going to get some beignets. You're going to love beignets. When we sat down at Cafe Dumont and they brought the hot beignets and the powdered sugar, Joseph, our son, named after Julie's dad, his eyes lit up. He was about five years old. His excitement paled in comparison to Julie's dad. He was seeing New Orleans through the eyes of his grandchildren for the first time in his life. He lit up. There's this incredible picture we have of him walking down the street in the French Quarter holding Emily's hand on this side, Joe on this hand. Somehow Joseph had powdered sugar on the back of his sweatshirt. We don't know how that happened, but we're calling it a win. When you practice the skill of evangelism, it will feed the fire of your faith like nothing else. It keeps your faith fresh. When you begin to see Christ through the eyes of somebody who just discovered the love of God, who is just discovering what it means to follow Christ, That fires you up. It's it's one of those things that that just happens. Number two, it keeps us others focused. Practicing the skill of evangelism keeps us others focused. You don't have to participate in this survey, but if you would, if you feel like it, go for it. How many of us have to work at focusing on others? Let me just see a show of hands. Thank you. If your hand's not up, you lying in church. (laughs) The skill of evangelism causes us to see people through the eyes of Christ. All of a sudden, we don't see people different from us or the same as us. We don't see people rich or poor, short or tall, black or white, any of the distinctions that Humanity creates. We begin to see people through the eyes of God. And all of a sudden, that changes everything. We stay others focused. Number three, evangelism keeps us growing. If you practice the skill of evangelism, you are going to have to continue to grow in your own faith. You, let me just tell you this right now you will get asked questions you don't know the answer to. Happens to me all the time. Let me tell you one of the most spiritually mature, wisest things you can ever say. And you ought to write this down. Are you ready? Three words. I don't know. I don't know. Do you understand how wise that is? To tell somebody... Man, that's a great question. Maybe we can find out together. Maybe it's a part of the mystery and the majesty of God that we're not going to understand in this life. But you will have to keep growing if you practice the skill of evangelism. Number four, practicing the skill of evangelism keeps us united. When I know that you are committed to the craft, to the skill of sharing your faith, and you know that I am, And we stay together. That's that's the thing that unites us. We're we're committed, what do we say around here, to growing the community of Christ one life at a time. It's, It's not just about me. It's not just about you. It's about people that haven't even darkened the doors yet. And we stay united on that. And then number five, and this is so important, practicing the skill of evangelism keeps us balanced spiritually and theologically. It keeps us balanced spiritually and theologically. It is so easy, so easy to begin to chase theological, religious rabbits. To, to I, I've seen this happen so many times. I, I've seen people lose sight of evangelism and the primacy of evangelism as a spiritual skill to practice and develop and grow in and, and begin to go down what, you could call it maybe the revelation rat hole. Now, revelations is important. Revelation, the book of Revelation, end times, knowing what's gonna happen. But I've seen so many people get so focused on the minutia of revelation that they forget people. They forget The reason God tells us about the end times is so we'll go tell people who get to participate in it with us. I've seen people who get so focused on a particular theological position. I'm reformed. And and that's, that's the banner that they wave. And that's great. I believe in predestination. It's a biblical concept. I believe in reformed theology. I think Martin Luther and John Calvin did good stuff for the church. But I know people who are more Calvinist than Calvin. So, Evangelism keeps us balanced. Evangelism keeping our eyes on the prize of Jesus and making him known to people keeps us from going down these side streets. And it's so, so important. Romans chapter 10 gives us maybe the clearest roadmap for evangelism, what it is and how to do it that there is anywhere in the Bible in one spot. In Romans chapter 10, God is explaining this thing called evangelism and and what the gospel is and how to share it with other people. He's doing this through the pen of the apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 10, here's what the Bible says. I'm gonna start with verse 13. Go to verse 15 just for now. God says, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith That you were saved. So the clear message is not believing in Christ means I'm not right with God. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the gospel. That's the the good news of Christ. Starts out with bad news. Bad news is, because of sin, my relationship with God that I was created for is ruptured. My sin ruptured it. Now God loves me unconditionally, period, as is. But he's not going to lower his standards of righteousness just to hang out with me. You see, I can never do enough good stuff to get to God. You will never do enough good things to get to God. That's why it takes faith in Christ. Christ is the only one who could accomplish enough to bring us back into right relationship with God. If you spent the rest of your life at the intersection of 6th and Congress, helping little old ladies cross the street, doing good works, it ain't gonna be enough. Tell your neighbor with a smile on your face, it ain't enough. He was well, "I'm going to go to heaven. I'm a good guy. I'm a good person. I'm a good guy. I'm a good girl, and, and I'm sure you are. I try to be a good guy. I'm not good enough to get to God. He is morally perfect and flawless, and he provided the solution in the person of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter four, verse twelve tells us." There is no other name under heaven by which we are saved. Anyone who gets saved is saved because of what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection. That's reality. People say, well, what about this group and that group? That's up to God. But if if someone is saved, it is because of the saving, atoning, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. How that shakes out, Who makes that decision is above our pay grade. It is Christ and Christ alone. And as I said, there are eternal ramifications to following Christ, but man, the current temporal ramifications are worth it alone. It's it's worth it because of the difference it makes in this life. Now, Paul continues, verses 14 through 15, and this is, This is where he gets really, really real with us. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? You see how absolutely irrefutable the logic is? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Acts 1.8, we've been sent. We've already been sent. That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers, there it is again, messengers, who bring good news. Man, when you bring good news to someone, it it lightens up every part of their lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ helps everywhere that the light touches. It's so powerful that even... If you bring good news of Christ to somebody, even your feet are beautiful. Nobody has beautiful feet. Remember the last time you went to the beach? I don't care what they look like from the knees up. Their feet are ugly unless you're bringing good news. When you bring the good news of Christ into someone's life, when you introduce someone to Christ, you bring good beauty and power, grace and truth, freedom and hope. That is a powerful, powerful thing. Remember the verse that we read in James? Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. We don't, get to heaven by our good works. We've already clearly established that. We've seen that scripturally. But because of our faith, we work. Because of our faith, we we do good works. And think about the works that we do. We've covered a lot of them in this series on skill set. There's the work of learning and living out scripture. There's the work of prayer. There's the work of stewardship. There's the work of of fellowship and being the church, encouraging one another, challenging one another, helping each other to grow more like Christ. There are other good works, serving and feeding the poor. And all of these things we're called to do. But they pale in comparison to the eternal significance of bringing the good news of Christ into their lives. All of the good works we can do besides evangelism have a shelf life to them. When you lead someone to Christ, you alter eternity in their lives. It changes everything. The Apostle Paul said, if we only believe in the resurrection of Christ for this present day, we are are to be pitied more than anyone. It's, it's, It's not just what's happening now, it's eternity. It's eternity. Yes, we take care of people who can't take care of themselves because they matter to God. But when you introduce Christ to someone, you introduce them to the reason they were created relationship with God. You introduce them to to why God made them and put them here on the planet. And that has eternal significance more than anything else. There is no other good work that can touch that. There are a lot of good works that are easier, but there's nothing better. There's nothing bigger than that. So how do we do this? Three things I, I want you to take from this as you, as you walk out of here. Number one, know the gospel. Know the gospel. Romans chapter 10, John 3, 16. The good news is the gospel. God loves you unconditionally and created you for a relationship with himself to know God, to glorify him, to enjoy him forever. That's the deal. And our sin ruptured that relationship. It ruptures that relationship in a way that we can't repair on our own. We need help. And so God gave us Jesus. Jesus, on his, in his death, burial, and resurrection, became our sin, died on the cross so that we don't have to pay the penalty for our sin. And then he rose from the dead with the promise of new life for anyone who believes in him. And anyone who believes in him will never be disgraced, will never be embarrassed, will never be put to shame because they've been forgiven and made new in him. That's the gospel. Know the gospel. Number two, show the gospel. Show it by the way you live. Show it in the way you talk to people. Show it in the way you talk about people. Show it and Just for the record, the only way you can show it, the only way you can show it is if you pray about it. You have to have an ongoing connection with God, relationship with God, if you're going to show the gospel, if your life is going to represent accurately the person and personality and character of Jesus. So show it. Pray about it. Show it. Number three. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. That, that's this, this, my really cool sweatshirt right now that some of you are coveting. That's why we do these things. We don't do it just because you get to wear a cool sweatshirt. We do it so that you can invite somebody to Christmas at Lake Hills Church. Did you know that 82% of Austin residents would come to church if a friend invited them? 82% that number skyrockets at Christmas. Christmas is the perfect opportunity to share the gospel. If you invite somebody to come to church with you, I promise you, they will encounter Christ. I promise you, it will happen. I want everybody to do me a favor real quick if you would. Take out your phone. I don't know that you've ever heard me say that in church, but take out your phone. Everybody take out your phone and open up the camera if you would. I've got mine right here. I'm going to do it myself. Everybody take out your phone. In just a moment, we're going to put a QR code on the screen. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to encourage you, i want to invite you to scan the QR code. So here comes the QR code. Boom. Now, I'm going to stand right here for just a second. If you can't see it, I'm going to move, just simmer. But if you can see the code, scan the code. Click on it, and it's going to take you to a graphic invitation piece to our Believe Christmas services. Looks like that. Can you get a close-up of that? I'm going to hold it. Look at that. That is so meta. Now, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to invite you to do with this. Not I want you to, but I'm going to invite you to do this. Text or email personally, individually, friends of yours who don't yet know how much God loves them to come to church at Christmas. December the 18th, December the 23rd, December the 24th. Do not, please, please listen to this. Do not, send a mass text or a mass email. Hey guys, no, no, no. I want you to send this to individual people that you know, individual people that you're praying for. Say, hey, I think you would really like our Christmas services at church. Come hang out with me. I'd love to see you there. We'd love to see you there. I'd love to take you, buy you a a peppermint latte afterwards. Or, I think Dean mentioned this earlier in our service too. We're gonna hand out these invitation cards. I love what you said earlier, Dean, to hand an actual invitation to an actual person. What a novel concept in 2022. Every one of us ought to have at least 10 of these on our person at all times. Just handing them out like chicklets. Boom, 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 boom. Inviting people. Because... We have the good news of Jesus Christ to give them. This is how it happens. This is truly a survival skill. It's a survival skill. This is how our faith survives, this is how the church survives. If we don't evangelize, if we don't tell people the good news of Christ, the church is one generation away from extinction. Now, we know from the Word of God that that's not going to happen. He will motivate and stir his people to do his work, to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. That, that will happen. The question is, will you be a part of it? Will you participate in the most important spiritual skill that there is. It's an incredible opportunity. You get to collaborate with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Romans 10 is a great roadmap, but I think the motivation is important behind the map. At the very beginning of the chapter, Paul explains where he's coming from, and he he says, he goes, understand, as a, As a Jew myself, I want to see all of Israel come to faith in Christ. I want to see all of Israel. I want to see the whole world come to faith in Christ. But he's speaking specifically about Israel. He has a special burden for Israel. Look at what he says in verses 3 through 5. He says, now at this moment, they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. But Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. You know, for a lot of people, keeping the law, rules and regulations, that's that's how they think they're gonna get right with God. Other people maybe don't use the law but they use good works or being a nice person or some other man-made mechanism to get right with God. And there is none. It's Jesus. Jesus is how we get right with God. Jesus is how we're forgiven. If you're here today or you're watching online and you've never stepped into that reality, you've never chosen to trust in faith, Jesus, more than you trust yourself, more than you trust the world or some man-made solution, we want to invite you to do it right now to pray a prayer of commitment, a prayer of surrender to the only one who will never take advantage of your surrender. I wanna ask everyone if you will bow your heads for just a moment. If that's you, then pray silently right where you are, whether you're in the room or you're online, just talk to God from your heart to his and silently say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And so right now I confess my sin to you in order to claim and receive forgiveness completely. And I choose to believe that your death and your burial and resurrection are real and they're for me. And so I will follow you. I will follow you from this moment forward. I know not perfectly, but sincerely. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. If you would just remain with your heads bowed for a moment If that was your prayer, then this is the biggest moment of your life. And as a church, we get to, we get to help with the moments that follow. In just a moment, we'll explain kind of how that happens. But right now, if I want to just ask you, if that was your prayer, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment. Your hand is just a physical statement of the spiritual commitment that you just made. And know that as a church, we honor that and celebrate that with you. And our family tradition is, as you put your hands down, we put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.